Shavuot and all the preparations we need to make for Shavuot and the some of the more important or relevant halachot that will be coming up on Shavuot. But first of all, let's give you the numbers. The numbers to call in is 718-683-5858. Um, if you call in and maybe we could take the the you know we could take maybe some callers on the on the on air today if there's a subject that we that you feel was not clear. Otherwise, you know, just wait, I guess, till the end. You could always text in your question, 347-927-8398. Of course, jrootradio.com and the Jroot Radio Pro app. Let's get to the class. <clears throat> Today's class is on the subject of Shavuot. It's going to be a class in preparing ourselves for Shavuot. And uh, if we have a little bit of more time, we'll try to speak about also a little bit of an idea about the greatness of Torah. But before we get to that, let's tell you first the times when Shavuot comes up and all these manim that we need to know. Holiday of Shavuot is exactly next week. It's on Tuesday night, May 30th, 2017. The first night is going to be on Tuesday night. That means Tuesday will be Arab Hag. That gives us only Sunday, Monday next week as a regular day. And then we're ready. We're going into the holiday of Shavuot. Candle lighting is at 8 p.m. It's nice. It's rounded off. 8 p.m. is the time for candle lighting. And Hatzot, as we'll see in the class, why we need to know when Hatzot is. Midnight is 12.52. Don't worry, there's no Afikoman. Just, you know, you'll see why. 12.52 a.m. And Al, you know, of course, in the daytime, it's also 12.52 p.m. Okay, Alota Shahar is 3.59 a.m. Now everybody follows the Zman, it's around, which is around basically 4 o'clock. Some have an earlier Alot. Either way, you follow your custom. But I believe this time of 3.59 Besides that, we, this Faradim over here in, uh, in Brooklyn follow it. But also, this is the latest time for Alot Shahar. If you're wondering, when the, according to the different opinions, this is the, later, the latest man. The earliest Talit, based on this man, is 4.27 a.m. And Nitz, sunrise, which many people try to pray Amidah at that time. Sunrise, this year Shavuot on the first day, will be at 5.28 a.m. This is information that's important for those who are making the schedules for all the shuls and especially those who are praying nets. 5.28 is the Zman of sunrise, of nets. Okay, and of course, the holiday is going to be on Wednesday and Thursday is going to be the second and final day. And of course, holiday of Shabbat is the outside David HaMelech and the Baal Shem Tov. We'll mention them a little bit later on. Let's get to the halachot of the holiday of Shabbat. We've compiled over here basically different categories of halachot they are consistent in the categories and we can begin with what we need to prepare ourselves for already my wife is my wife has been asking me where are we going to be for the halachot are we invited to this one or that one and who are we hosting who are we hosting this is as man when everybody's preparing their meals so there are halachot Believe it or not, there are halachot who you can invite, who you cannot invite. Unlike a regular Shabbat. And when it comes to the holiday, when it comes to Yom Tov, there are halachot of who we're allowed to invite. Now we know we're going to invite our children and our grandchildren, or we're going to, some of us will invite our parents and some of us will be guests ourselves. If you're hosting on Shavuot, you should know the following important halachot. Even if you're not hosting on Shavuot, it's important for you to listen to these halachot as well. There are halachot on Yom Tov who you're allowed to invite and you're not allowed to invite. So, I'm going to tell you first the Roh Halakha, and then we'll come back and see the reason and the background 
and the sources of this halakha. There is a halakha in Shulchan Aruch that a person is not allowed to invite a goy or a mehalel shabbat beferhesia. Goy, I don't need to translate. Mehalel shabbat beferhesia means a person who publicly desecrates the shabbat. This is talking about a person who couldn't care less when he is mehalel shabbat. Mehalel shabbat, unlike any other avira, mehalel shabbat is a very important fundamental mitzvah in our religion and one who knows about Shabbat and he mehalil it and he doesn't in public he couldn't care less what anybody that anybody in the world what, he, what they think about him this is called mehalil Shabbat for Hesia. his status is like a goy lehumra we can't sell him our hamids for Pesach but we and we can't ask him also to put on the lights for us on Shabbat if we if uh, halakha permits putting on the light by a goy but he has the status of a goy for all other areas, as we're going to explain. Now, where does this halakha come from? Where does this isur come from? Is it the Rabbanan, the writer? It's a custom. Let's begin with the pasuk in Parashat Bo. Parashat Bo, which talks about the Jews, you know, basically coming out of Mitzrayim. Hashem commands Moshe, and he tells him to tell the Jewish people about the holiday of Pesach. And the holiday of Pesach has a Yom Tov. And regarding the holiday of Pesach, the Torah says, which is... Something not just for Pesach, but for all the holidays, the Torah says like this. Regarding the holidays, it says, Kol melacha lo This is a pasuk, Rabotai. The pasuk says, Every melacha should not be performed on the days of Yom Tov. And that's why Hazal tells us that whatever is forbidden on Shabbat is forbidden also on Yom Tov. However, the pasuk gives an exception. The pasuk says, however, ach, which means however, that which is consumed or eaten by everybody, that alone could be done for you. Now, the wording of the pasuk, those who know Hebrew very well, you could clearly see that there's some extra words. You want to tell me that I'm allowed to do things that are ochel nefesh. Now that also is a separate show what ochel nefesh is. But whatever the Torah clearly here permitted me, it says, ah, now clearly the Torah is telling me there's an exception. I'm allowed to do sir melachot for ochel nefesh. Why did you add the words lachim? It could have just said, ah, nefesh, What's the extra emphasis on lachim? To that the Gemara comes and says, yeah, the Torah is teaching us over here a very important rule when performing specific melachot on Yom Tov. We know that on Yom Tov, we could do melachot. Things that are usually forbidden on Shabbat when it comes to things that are like food, cooking and eating, and things that are basically physical benefits that are common, that are commonly shared by, by most people. So therefore, I'm allowed to cook on Shabbat. I'm allowed to put on the fire on Shabbat in order that I should cook. I'm allowed to do bore, the menachah bore. All these things I'm not allowed to do on Shabbat. I'm allowed to do them on Yom Tov. I'm allowed to do these things on Yom Tov, even though they're forbidden on Shabbat. So what's the extra word, lachem, in the Pasuk HaMittich? It says the Gemara, the emphasis of lachem means lachem velo lenochri, lachem velo leklavim. Only you, you, you can only do these menachot. The Torah only gave us permission to, uh, quote-unquote, push away or suspend the laws of Yom Tov to perform certain melachot for Ochen Nefesh, only when I'm doing it for us as a Jew. But I cannot do it for a Goy. Only for us, but I cannot do it for animals. And it doesn't make a difference 
what the reason you may have. The Torah permitted you to cook on Shabbat for a Jew. You're not allowed to cook on Shabbat for a Goy. You're not allowed to cook on Shabbat for animals. You're not allowed to put on a fire for a Goy. But I'm putting on the fire anyway. No, that's the Torah only permitted for Jews, not for Goyim. This is the Isur Minat Torah. That a person who performs on Yom Tov a melacha for anybody besides a Jew, non-Jews, or even the property of a, of a Jew, even if it's an animal, you're doing a sur de oraita. But the Hakamim went an extra step. Hakamim said, not only are you not allowed to, you know, that's a Torah, I don't need to say that. Not only are we not allowed to do melachot, what would happen if you would invite a goy to your house on Yom Tov? If you invite a goy to your house on Yom Tov, we're scared that you might come to cook for him. How do you invite somebody to don't cook for him? So therefore, Hazal made a gezerah, they made a decree that you shouldn't come to do the Isudoraita of cooking for a goy on Yom Tov. And they said, not only are you not allowed to cook for your, for goy, that's a Torah says that, we're going to make a gezerah, a decree, a rabbinical decree that you may not even invite him. And these are the words of Shohana Ruch and Siman Tafkuf Yudbet, Halakha Aleph, listen to the words, En mebashelim letzorach kutim beyom tov. We're not allowed to cook for the sake of non-Jews on Yom Tov. Lefichach, therefore, asur lehazmino shema yarbe bishvilo. You're not allowed to invite him. Why? Because you might come to cook extra for him. You might come to actually do a melacha for him, just as you're doing for everybody else. Then you can say, no, no, no. Not in our days. Most people prepare the food before. In their days, I understand. But most people cook everything before. Okay, Sfaradim eat rice. They like to eat fresh rice. They do it. But most of us, we're preparing our food before the holiday. It doesn't make a difference. It's exerat hachamim. Hazal made a gezerat. You're not allowed to invite the goy. That's it. So therefore, so therefore, the invitation, just to invite a person, a, a, a goy, is forbidden on Yom Tov. Now, we need to elaborate a little bit on this Gezerah that we should get an understanding. This Gezerah, who's including this Gezerah? We said a goy. And also, as the Ahronim bring down, not only a goy, but even, look at the Mishra Barah, you'll see it, even a Mehalel Shabbat Befarhesya. That's the Jew that we mentioned before, even though he's a Jew. But since his status is like a goy, he has the same restriction or we have the restriction from inviting him it sounds a little harsh i know but listen i didn't choose this halakha and i didn't choose that this guy should be mahalish shabbat he chose to be mahalish shabbat he chose to publicly desecrate the shabbat and couldn't care less right so what do you want from us that's the halakha you cannot invite a mahalish shabbat before now we're going to talk i know there's a lot of people that have relatives we're going to get to that in a second i just want to first clarify this point however where it, this doesn't apply, this doesn't apply people that are in your house already that have that status. That means if you have people that work for you, let's say a housekeeper, or let's say you are very, very wealthy and you have a butler, right? You have a non-Jew that works for you. You're not inviting him. Of course, you're telling him to come and to clean. That's not an invitation to the meal. The Remember, the sewer is to cook specially for him. When you have a housekeeper, you never think, you know, what do they like to eat? Mm, you know, I'm going to cook for them something special. Ah, it doesn't. So therefore, workers or people that are there, that's not in his sur because you're not inviting them. 
telling them to come clean your house. And therefore, because they're in your house, you have to feed them. Doesn't that, that does not fall under the restriction of not inviting them? So therefore, don't let your husbands tell you, ladies, that oh, you can't get a maid because you you know you 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 can't uh, invite goyim. You know, I'm sorry, I would love to pay for it, but I'm I'm sorry, you're gonna have to do all the work. Don't let them tell you that. You're allowed to tell get a maid if you need help. Men, come on. Don't be stingy. Get a maid. Help your wives out. And you could have a housekeeper for the holiday. Now, when it comes to non-observant Jews, the Mahalei Shabbat Beferhesia, we give you a little bit of few heterim to get around them. Because we all know the holidays are a time when everybody's invited. Everybody gets comes over and you have to invite them. You know, especially sometimes, you know, you have a chance to do kiruv. You're the family, you're a religious family, and you have this guy at work who's Mahalesh Abad I couldn't care less, but you know what? Bring him maybe to the house. Let him see what a family, let him see the whole entire family together. Let him see the the, the, the beauty of our holidays. Maybe Mikarevim. So therefore, if you are inviting somebody for the sake of Kiruv, it doesn't make a difference if this person is related to you or not related to you. Any Jew who's Mechalesh Abad but your purpose is to invite him that you could be Mechalevim. We're talking about that you could be Mechalevim. We're not talking about those people that are just stuck. And if you're inviting him for the sake of Kiruv, the Orletzion Halegimel says you can be lenient to even invite them. Now, where is the real issue? The real issue is really by those relatives that you know you cannot be mekarev. You have an uncle that you can't tell him. Now, you know, by the way, you know, oh, you have a brother-in-law. Already things are very uncomfortable in the family, and it's not your place to open your mouth. You're not a rabbi. You're not anything. You're just a religious guy. And the last time you tried to mention religion to him, he went crazy at you. And But you know, what are you going to do? It's the holidays. And, and everybody's coming to your house for the holiday. You're inviting your other siblings. How could you not invite now your sister and her husband who is Mahalesh Abad Bifarhesia? This is where the real issue is. It's a very, very uncomfortable situation. What you could do is like this. If your sister has some hope, she's not a Mahalelit Shabbat Bifarhesia. She might not keep Shabbat to the best, you know, not like the rest of the family, but she's not like her husband either. Her husband is, forget it, he's a Poshaya. The guy is wacko. He's off his, you know, he's... I say, whatever it is, you know what the title is. Everybody has his own titles in their own families. The black sheep, whatever it is. So he, there's no hope. He's hopeless. But your sister, first of all, she, she's probably not Mahalesh Abad Bifarhesia. And even if she may be, because that's her husband, but there's hope for her. There's, you know, she could be inspired. So therefore, when you have such a person, you could invite them. And you're not going to invite everything. It's known that she's going to tell her husband. But you don't invite her husband. And therefore, when he comes, there's a mahlok, and if you had to tell him, this is the only food I have, you could be lenient in this, such a situation, and that's it. They come, he comes on his own. You didn't invite him. The problem is inviting him. Although it's understood that when you invite his wife, he's also coming, but you didn't invite him. You're inviting his wife only. And let her, let your sister, or let that religious person in the family tell the rest, you know, tell the mahalish of by the way, we're eating the holiday meal by our parents, by our sister, by our siblings, by whatever it is. That is the way you could get around it. Now, the problem is, when you have in some Baalei Tshuva, when you have some Baalei Tshuva that their parents are Mahalei Shabbat Bifarhesia, they saw their kids become religious, but they couldn't care less. Now the holidays, you know, how do you want me to spend it without my, my parents? So that's a little bit more complicated. In that case, I recommend you call and you find out from your Rav exactly how to deal with it. Because it's, I don't want to say anything on the air, which could be misunderstood. You could even call us over here at the end of the class, and uh, we'll discuss it. But 
when you have such a situation when it's only one person, he's mehalim shabbat for hisya, then you have uh, you have to be smart in how to do it. Next, the isur is inviting, but if you don't invite and they just show up, there's absolutely no isur with that. That means if that you know, there are some people where their parents are, you know, not together or they only have one one parent alive. And it's, you know, the father's mahalash about verhesia, I couldn't kill us. Or the mother's mahalash about verhesia. You know, she didn't grow up with religion and you, you the kids became ba'al tshuva. Beautiful. Now she decides to show up. She knows it's a holidays. It's, she knows I'm going to, she's going to show up. She's going to drive. Hopefully she doesn't pull into the driveway, right? So the kids don't see. But let's say she shows up on the holiday. There's no problem with that. You don't invite them. Again, the Isur is inviting them. If they just show up, there is absolutely no problem. Okay? Next. Once they're over you, and there's another point to keep in mind. The Halakha says, the Torah says, that you're not allowed to cook for them anything extra. But if you already have things are cooked and you're just warming it up, even though in that pot you had in mind when you cooked it before the holiday to have their food also, since everybody is also eating from the same pot, that's not a problem. But if they're, let's say they have a special diet that they're only, the only ones who are going to eat from it, that may be an issue. So in that case, make sure other people also partake of that meal. So warming up or doing any melacha on the holiday, you have to be careful. Now this is really an issue. The real, real issue is in the following. And this applies not only to the mehalei shabbat b'fehesia, that relative who's over, but it also applies to housekeepers. A lot of people like to make barbecues on the last meal of the holiday. You know, you finish the holiday. Ashkenazim, not, this sounds like a, well, it's a crazy thing, but there's a lot of people that make barbecues. It's a nice day. They sit outside. It's in the summer. It's nice. It's, you know, you had a lot of dairy probably over the holiday. Now they like to make a barbecue. Now, barbecues create a little bit more of a problem. You know why? Because usually barbecues are per piece. I'm talking about, you know, the just grilling a lot of... Some people just grill a lot of chicken wings, you know, and they just put them on. Fine, that's not an issue. But let's say you're making steaks. Usually steaks are per order. Okay, who wants a steak? Raise your hand. Oh, okay, I got one steak, three steaks. And now the mahalash about Bifrahesia raises his hand. Oh, you have a housekeeper. And she's watching everybody eating nice chicken cutlets. And each person is getting... You're grilling per person the chicken cutlet. So if you add another one, you know, sometimes that happens. Say, oh, you know, the housekeeper didn't get, put another piece for her. That's asur. You're not allowed to cook for the sake of a joy. But I'm cooking anyway. But that piece is going, you have in mind that that piece is going to a goy. You have in mind that that piece is going to the mahalash b'farhesia. So we have to be aware of that. We have to be on top of it. That those who are making a barbecue and you have a housekeeper or you have somebody that is a mehalei shabbat b'farhesa that's coming over, don't make per person. Just make extra. Make 10 extra pieces, 20 extra pieces, whatever it may be. Not per person. Let everybody just take on their own. You're allowed to serve them afterwards, but don't count the pieces as you're cooking them per person. Because then it comes out that you're cooking for a person who's either mehalei shabbat b'farhesa or a goy, which is forbidden midde'oraita. Remember, the isur... The Isur is only, uh, uh, excuse me, the Isur the Rabbanan is only to invite, but to cook, that's Asur Midde'oraita. So we've covered who not to invite. We've covered who to stay away from or how to get around the problem of inviting Mahalei Shabbat B'farhetzah or anything else. Now we get to who we should invite. Now you can tell me, of course, we invite our family, we invite our friends. So that I don't have to tell you. 
In order to, under, to understand what, I, what we mean when we say Yehut invite, we're going to go into the next mitzvah, which is very important mitzvah. It's a mitzvah also midde oraita. The mitzvah, the Hinuch brings it as one of the mitzvot. Shohan Aruch talks about it. The mitzvah is found in Parashat Re'eh. The Torah says the following. Listen to the words. The mitzvah of being happy on a holiday. Let's, we're going to see what that means. Vesamahta behagecha. You know the song. Come on, sing with me. Okay. It says in the Torah, you have to be happy during the holiday. Who has to be happy? Listen to the words of the Torah. You have a command to be happy. And not only that, your son, your daughter, your servant, your slave, and your female slave. Not shayach in our days unless you live in Saudi Arabia or Africa. So, we're not going to talk about Abdecha v'Ametecha. So, so far it says, you have to be happy, your children have to be happy. Ve'halevi, the Levi, which simply means anybody from the tribe of Levi. Ve'hager ve'hayatom ve'almana. The ger over here is referring to the getoshab. Ve'hayatom, the atom is, the orphan, the almana is the widow. This is a mitzvah in Torah. It's not just a good advice. Like we said, Sefer Ahinuch brings it down. It's Mizvah number Taf Pehet. Okay? 488. Next. Maran brings it down. It's not also one of the Rishonim. It's not just an opinion. Maran brings it down. Siman Taf Kuf Chavtet. The last Siman in Helek He of the Mishabra. Maran says the following. Hayab. A person is obligated to be happy and good-hearted. I mean, if you be basically being good-natured during the holidays. Him, his wife, his children, and anybody who is associated with him. The Mishabra says, although the wording of the Shohan Aruch is, says, Adam, sounds like it's only an obligation for the men. The no. This is a mitzvah also by Nashim as well. Ladies also have this obligation. Anybody who is an adult above the age of bar mitzvah has this obligation to be happy. Now, if you have the so who's the children over here? The children over here are people that are younger. The question is, what does it mean to be happy? Do you just take an emoji and you put smiley faces everywhere? You just walk around with a smile? Maybe. I don't know. But there is a there's gotta be a definition. You can't have there's no obligations of uh, in the Torah of just feelings, right? This Gedarim, we have to have boundaries in exactly uh, speaking about what it is. What does it mean to be happy? Now, the what uh, what's it called? So the Shohan Aruch tells us exactly what it is. We're going to now speak about how to make everybody happy. And then we're going to get to, uh, let's not forget what we said. We're going to get to talk about who to invite, right? So let's go. Maran says, How do you make them happy? See, he didn't leave it just in the air. Make them happy. How? Ah, make them happy. I don't want to figure it out. No. How do you make them happy? Listen to what he says. He says, The youngsters, that means the kids under Bar Mitzvah. You give them roasted wheat and nuts. That means candy. Okay? That, let's make it. It's treats. In our days, give them gushers. Now the ones with the juicy. Yeah, those ones. The ladies, you know how you make them happy? Men, this is for you. This is not, and ladies, I guess you could just do it and tell your men, this is your obligation. Let them pay for the bill. You buy for them clothing and jewelry. Takshitin is adornments. Could be jewelry, could be anything. But here's the word about I. Ladies, don't forget to mention this to the men. According 
to one's means, how much he could afford. You can't go to your husband and tell him, ah, halakha, maran says, shohan aruch, you need to buy me jewelry. Let's go work harder, get me a thousand. No, kifimamu, no. He says, no problem, I'll pay, after I pay for the rent, and after I pay for the car, and after I pay for this, you can have the rest for your treats. Yeah? Okay. V'hayab, but it's not done yet. It says also in the halakha, v'hayab lehachil lager leyatom v'almana am she'ar anim. You also have to feed the ger, the yatom, the amana, the ger over here is, Mahila, I said before, uh, ger to shab. No, I meant to say ger tzedek. This, the ger, yatom, v'almana, these are people basically that are, don't really have families. The convert, the, the orphan and the widow, you have to feed them together with other aniyim, with other poor people. So let's summarize in English, very short. Well, how do you make everybody happy? For the kids, it says, you do it with treats. For the ladies, you buy them nice clothing or jewelry according to your means. For the men, Notice we didn't say anything for the men, right? Doesn't say anything for the men. It talks about how do you make everybody else happy. That's a musar by itself. Nothing na halakhad. We take a little break from halakhad for 10 seconds. A musar by itself. First you make others happy, then we talk about how we make the men happy, okay? We'll get to the men afterwards, but that's when we'll talk about them. But I want to focus right now on what it says over here. The geriaton mena'im sha'aranim. There's an obligation also for aniim. It says you have an obligation to feed them. Listen to the words of the Mishnah Berurah. Mishnah Berurah says, I'm going to read it in its original text and translate. It's very important to listen to this, Rabotai. A person who locks up his doors. Locks up is a figurative, uh, you know, lashon over here. And what it means to say, basically, he he blocks people from coming. He only, but he eats, he invites. But who's he inviting? His family, his kids, his wife, and he doesn't share with the people who are aniim. Those are poor. Mari nafesh are people. They may not be poor, but they need. You know, they're lonely. That's that single guy that never got married. That's that divorced lady that's living by herself. That you know she's, he doesn't have family. That's that stranger. Enzu some He says if you only do it by yourself, you're only focusing on you and your family. He says that's. I'm sorry to tell you, says the Mishnah Barad, That's not called the simha of a mitzvah. Ella simhat kereso. That's the happiness of your belly. Regarding them, it says in the pasuk, zibhehem kelehem onim lahem. Slaughtering their korbanot, which they're bringing, they think for me, it's actually a bread of bitterness. All those who eat it become defiled by it because their bread is only for themselves. He says, actually, this kind of happiness when it's only focusing on yourself, when you have the ability to help others, he says, actually, that comes to be... Uh, it backfires on you. It becomes a disgrace for you. Those are words of Mishabra, but it's not the words of Mishabra. The Mishabra did not make up these words. Those are the words actually of Rabbin Moshe bin Maimon, the Rambam. Vegan Bezohar Kadosh, Mishabra quotes also the Zohar. He says, A person who doesn't share from his meal to any Aniyim in Yom Tob. And all the Haronim brought the words of the Zohar, of the words of the Rambam. And therefore, it's publicized by all the post-scheme that a person has to make sure to, you know, if he knows somebody that's needy, to make sure that he he's get, gets invited, or at least to provide for them. You know, I mean, people have a hard time paying when the holidays come, extra meals, extra clothing. Besides the regular expenses, are already very, very hard. So therefore, a botai, like the Benish Hai says, 
if you could invite pe- such people for the holidays, it's unbelievable. That's the greatest samha to be misameyah, to make those who don't have happy and share with your happiness. And don't just invite them and ignore them. Make them feel part of the family. It's the most wonderful feeling. For you also, by the not just for them. But for you also, as the giver, it's the most wonderful feeling. Now, if you can't do it, says Ibn Ishai, so send to them. If you can't invite them, send them meals or send them money that they can pay for their meals. There's a lot of organizations that provide money for the needy. And by the way, the needy doesn't have to be that guy. Doesn't have to be the guy that's sleeping on the street. Unfortunately, the needy is a, could be the guy sitting right next to you in shul. It could be your brother. It could be your cousin. It could be your brother. They're all over. We mentioned this time and time again. This is the Aniyim in our days. The Aniyim, yes, the Aniyim in our days have cell phones and they have houses. But the Aniyim, they can't pay their bills. Yes, if they can't pay their bills, they can't meet ends, and they can't make ends meet, they're considered Aniyim. So therefore, we have to pay attention to that. And especially to the people who are, may not be Aniyim, but they're Marid Nafish. They're bitter, mean to say, they're lonely. They don't have family. Everybody you see on the holidays, it's, it's beautiful. Walk down any of the streets in our Jewish neighborhoods, and we see all the families going to each other. It's beautiful to see, but for a person who doesn't have family, it's actually, it's very, very painful. So therefore, if he's invited somewhere, don't wait for them to call. Call them up. Do you have a place? We want you to come over. It's an unbelievable chesed that you could be doing with others. Now, we come back to our question. Who we should invite? That's da'ani. That's we want to get the berakha like the Zohar talks about. We want to get the blessings of all of, of Hazal and, and all the Aharonim and Rishonim that mentioned this. That's who we should invite. Now, on the subject of Simhat Hahag, we mentioned in the Pasuk that there's a Levi. Who is this Levi? Do we have an obligation today to still give to anybody from the tribe of Levi? And what if you're from this tribe of Levi? You're a Kohen or you're a Levi? How is this? So by me inviting my kids, I'm Misameh the Levi. So I want to quote for you, to you a sefer from a sefer called Binyan Shalom that almost all the Haronim bring on the on this subject. And he says the following. He says, Hilkach. If you know Hebrew, I need to translate, but I'm going to translate for those who don't know. Just like we know the Torah gave us an obligation when we had a Beit HaMikdash, when we lived in Eretz Israel, that when we have the crops, when we're harvesting our crops, we should give Terumot Ma'asrot. These are the 10% and the 2%. We have to give it to the Kohanim and to the Leviyim. Why? And as Hazal said, and it really comes from Sefer Ezra, that they're mahzikim betorat Hashem. Hachanami mutal mizvat aseha idna lesameyah eta talmideh hachamim verabbaneh hakehilot baregel. So too, there's a mizvat aseh nowadays. Yes, even in our days today, in the 21st century, to make the to, to, to make the Talmideh HaChamim, the ones who are learning Torah, happy, and the rabbis of the Kehilot. Why? Because when it comes to the holidays, there's a much bigger responsibility of uh, providing people with information in the Torah. You see, now it's a holidays. Everybody's asking, Rabbi, what do we do this? The text messages get much more in these days. And they're all busy with this. And they're giving them They're providing the rabbis of the Kehilot are busy answering in, especially holidays like Pesach. Okay, Shabbat, not as much, but in all the holidays. Therefore, he says, the Mizvah today of Haribi Misameya Halevi, like it says in the Torah, 
is by providing, giving money to the Talmidei Hachamim. Those are what we call the Kolel guys. The guys are learning all day. And even the rabbis, even the rabbis of Kehillot, the Rashi Yeshivas and the Mashgihim, that their responsibility, that, you know, they, everybody has responsibilities. Their responsibility is to teach Torah. And this is the time to show our hakarat hatov and to give them. And even, by the way, even if you're tamir hacham yourself, try to also be mikayim this mizvah. Whatever little bit that you have, maybe make a little bit of a collection for a certain rav, for a certain rosh kolel, to give him a little bit of a matana, a gift that to show appreciation, especially in the holiday of Torah. And these are the Moshe Rabbeinus of, of Klal Israel. They're the ones who are making sure that Torah is learned and it's kept on the highest standards. Now we turn our attention to, as some will say, last but not least. We spoke about this of how to make, of how to be happy during the holiday. We mentioned everybody, but we didn't mention, of course, the main guys, the men. How do the men be, uh, how are the men happy? So the next halakha in Shohan Aruch, Maran writes in Halakha Gimel, regarding the Simha of a man, he says like this, I'll read it for you again. Adam ochel for the guy, he eats and he drinks and he's happy during the holiday. Look at that. It's very easy to, to make men happy. Just give them food. No, I'm kidding. Now listen to this though. But this is very important. But it has its restrictions. And he shouldn't get carried away by eating so much meat and drinking wine and laughter. And kalut rosh means lightheadedness. Uh, basically too much joking. Because laughter, too much joking and lightheadedness, talking about nonsense, all these things, that's not what we would talk all happy. Oh, you feel happy? It's not feeling. It's foolishness. As they say in Yiddish, it's nourishkeit. That's what it is. Holelut v'sichlut. V'sichlut. And you tell me, oh, but the guy's happy, he feels geschmack, he feels very good about himself. That's not what we were commanding on. People, this is what the mistake that people make. Oh, I'm happy. It's not a feeling. We said there's a clear mitzvah of what it means to be a Sameah. Do you know what kind of Samha says, Shohan Aruch? Samha that has with it serving Hashem. It's going to lead you more to serve Hashem. As the Mishnah Barah says in the name of the Tour, The Hasidim, Hasidim means people who always have Hashem in their front of their eyes and always thinking, what should I do that will make Hashem proud of me and I should be a good Jew? When they're, when they're in, the, in the times of their happiness, they give more praise to God. They give more praise to Hashem. Baruch Hashem, we have a family. Baruch Hashem, I have health. Baruch Hashem, I have uh, people that I can invite or people that are inviting me. Baruch Hashem, I'm, I'm living in the community. Baruch Hashem, I'm a from Jew. That's what happens when they're happy. That's a tap of simha. So the Mishnah Barah says, this is a, a real simha. Even if one usually fasts to do teshuvah, not during the holidays and Shabbatot. You must eat and drink during the holidays and Shabbatot. Hayab. You have to eat and drink. But, like we said before, person has to be careful just that he shouldn't be carried away. So now we covered everybody. How do you make everybody happy for the kids? You give them treats for the ladies. You buy them things according to your means. For the men, you give them the food and the drinks. And uh, just be careful not to get carried away. And as Manam brings down, which I didn't quote over here, which that is that half a day you, you sit and enjoy your meal. The other half you go to shul, you learn. 
as we're going to talk about later on, and the ani to invite those who are needy or to provide for them to make sure that they have what they need for the holiday as much as also to your ability, and the levi, those are the abrechim, tabidei hachamim, and the, what's it called, rabbanim. Now, on the subject of inviting and meals, there is a dilemma when it comes to the holiday of Shavuot. On one hand, we find in Hazal that they mention, they say the following, and Samha when it says you can only have some how when you have meat and wine on the other hand we find that there's a minhag that the Ramah brings down that says there's a custom of eating dairy on Shavuot so which one is it? do you eat dairy on Shavuot? do you eat meat? it sounds like you have to eat dairy on Shavuot because that's a minhag and it sounds like no you you want to be mekayim the bazaar of Simha can only be done with meat so let's give you, first of all, the background to both. Let's start with the dairy one, on Shavuot. Where does this manhag come from? What's the reason of it? So there are several answers. We'll just mention a few very quickly. The Ramah says that since there was a korban, the, the korban of Shavuot in the times of Beit HaMikdash included Sheteh HaLechem. Those are two loaves of bread that are presented. So when we are coming to eat, we're going to eat meat and we're going to also eat dairy. But since Allah says you can't use the same loaf of bread when you eat dairy and then when you're going to eat meat. Because maybe your hands might have had dairy on it and you touch the bread. And now when you come to eat meat, you're going to use the same bread. It's going to have dairy residue on it. So therefore you have to have you bring another loaf. You're bringing two different loaves on the table. That is a reminder to the korban that was brought on, on Shavuot that included Shetei lehem. That's the Ramah. One of the reasons that the Ma brings on. Mishnah Barah brings the more famous answer is that when the Jewish people were given the Torah, Hazal say it was on Shabbat. And before the giving of the Torah, the Jews were not obligated to do Shahita. Some did Shahita, but not everybody. If they did it, they did it because that's how they kept it as a custom. But a lot of people didn't do Shahita. So now the Hashem commanded them, now you have to do Shahita. They accepted the Torah. All the meat that they had got to be thrown out. It's not Beit Yosef. So what are you going to do now? You can do Shahita, you can't. It's Shabbat. You can't prepare the knife. You can do Shahita, Shabbat, and Yom Tov at the same time. So therefore, they were forced to eat dairy. That was the only thing that's available. And that is the one of the other reasons why we eat dairy. There are other reasons. For example, Dabash V'Halab and there's others. If you look, you find a lot of different other reasons, very, very nice reasons. But we got an idea, at least a little bit, of why we eat dairy on Shavuot. Now let's go to eating meat during the holiday. Not necessarily Shavuot, but in general. It says, And Hazal say, So let's see. Where does that come from? The Rambam writes the following. Now, the Rambam is not talking only in the time of Beit HaMikdash. He's talking also nowadays. He says like this, V'anashim, Regarding the Mzav, of being happy on the holiday, V'anashim ochlim basar v'shotim yain. For the men, they eat meat and they drink wine. Why? She'en semcha illa bebasar. Ve'en semcha illa beyain. Happiness is only with meat, happiness is only with wine. You see from the Rambam that in order to be mekayem the mitzvah, to do the mitzvah of v'samachta b'hagecha, you must have meat, clearly. However, Maran and Bet Yosef brings this Rambam and he asks this question. He said, you know, it doesn't make sense. If you look in the Brayta, the Brayta seems to only imply that there's, in our days that there's no Bet HaMikdash, wine is enough because the meat that's mentioned over here, it's talking about Besar Shalamim, that's the meat of the Korbanot that we used to bring in the holidays. So he asked the question, why is the Rambam mentioning Basar? In fact, when you look at the words of Shohan Aruch, when he talks about 
the Sauda of Yom Tov. Listen to the words. He says, When you say Hamotzi during the meals of Yom Tov, you must use two loaves of bread like we do on Shabbat. And each meal must have wine. What happened to Basar? Why did the Rambam, why did the Shohan Aruch skip the word Basar like the Rambam wrote? Because, the answer is, because clearly it doesn't hold of it. And the Bi'ur Halakha, if you look in the last Bi'ur Halakha, on this man, Taf Kuf Chavtet, he writes like this. When the Beit HaMikdash was around, the meat from the Kuban Shalamim, that's what they used to eat for Samha. As it says, However, says the Bi'ur Halakha, And nowadays the Beit HaMikdash is not around anymore. You can only be your say. You can only do your obligation of the Mzav, the Simha, by having wine. As it says, However, meat, there's no obligation to eat meat in our days because we have no more basar shalamim. However, he concludes, yes, basar, but there's still a mizvah in eating meat, but it's not an um, obligation. And he concludes, basar, and the Shohan Aruch Maran, who didn't mention anything about meat, Azila Shittate Bebet Yosef, he went according to what he said in Bet Yosef that. Meat is not an obligation. However, wine is an obligation. So this is the source of having meat. According to Rambam, it's an obligation. But Maran Shohan Aruch says it's not an obligation. Hakam Avadia is very strong about having meat on during the Sauda of Yom Tov, even on Shabbat. Even though Maran doesn't say that, I include the other Ahronim, still, he quotes the Rambam. He says even chicken is good enough, but you must have... Meat or chicken, of course, if you enjoy it, and not for healthy reasons, whatever, you could have them. That's what Hakam Abadiyat says. But you see clearly from the words of Maran, and you see in Mishnah Berurah, it's even the Magin Abraham, that it is not an obligation. Now, we come back now and we say like this, okay, so if you could do both, you could do both, right? Why not? Have the dairy like the Minhag, and have the meat this way. There's a, everybody agrees that it's also Mizvah to have meat. But the real question is, what everybody asks nowadays, could you only have dairy on Shabbat or must you have also meat with it or not? So we said, Hakam says, no, you need to have, you need to have meat. You can't just only have dairy. However, from the words of the Bi'ur Halakha and the simple understanding of Maran, it's preferable to have meat, but it's not an obligation. Not an obligation. Now, if you do have a choice, that means you're going to have some meals dairy and some meals meat, and you want to know, is there a preference of when to have meat? And the answer is yes. If you can make it that the meat meal should be in the daytime, it's much better than in the nighttime. Because there's more of an obligation of the mizvah of Samha in the daytime than the nighttime, that's if you have a choice. Now, if you're planning to have the best of all worlds, you're planning to have dairy and meat, just be careful on how to do it. And do the following. First of all, you bring out the dairy, not the other way. right? First, you bring out the dairy. That means after hamotzi and whatever, you have your dairy. After you have your dairy, then you got to change the tablecloth. You got to change the dishes. Wash your hands and mouth very well and then eat something dry. According to halakha, once you did what you did, unless you have a specific custom, then you could go right into meat right away. You don't have to wait anything. However, those who like to follow the Kabbalah and the Zohar, according to the Zohar, 
it's a person should wait one hour between dairy and meat. So it's not always so practical. If you could do it, you could do it. Why not? Kabbalah. We like Kabbalah. So, but if you can't do it, there's absolutely no reason to wait. Once you wash your hands and mouth and you ate something dry, then you could have meat right away. Of course, make sure you change the dishes as well. Okay, with that, we concluded the laws of preparing for the meals and the meals of Shavuot. We move on now to other preparations for the holiday. And that's basically Kavod Yom Tov. There's a Mizvav also honoring Yom Tov. So we have personal preparations. Coming into the holiday, we have a mitzvah to take haircuts and shave. If you haven't done so, especially if you, those who keep the minhag of the Ariza, they wait till the last day. Yes, the last day right before the holiday, you should come into the holiday taking on the 49th day of the Omer, taking haircut. And if you normally shave, to shave, of course, with the kosher machine and everything else, that's a different halachot. Some wanted to know, if you hold like the Ariza, is it better to take the haircut in the morning or in the afternoon? So I'll tell you the truth, I haven't seen anything that's brought down uh, you could say, I brought it down. <laughs> that doesn't mean anything. But anyway, I haven't seen really anybody bring down where that person should wait for an afternoon, shouldn't wait for an afternoon. Personally, I think the earlier the better. One, for practical reasons, is because there's just a lot of people when you come in the afternoon. Number two is also because of halakha. Because halakha tells us that after a certain time in the afternoon, one should not sit to take a haircut. So even though there's a little bit of ways around it, but everybody will agree it's much better, so that's why you should take it in the morning. Also, the idea of waiting till afternoon is only by avelut. We have to wait right before the hag comes in. But the 49 days, according to the Ariza, that people don't shave or take haircuts, that has nothing to do with avelut. It's a special anyan of midat adir in those days. Now, if Shavuot is on Sunday, then haircuts could already, and shaving, of course, could already be done from Erev Shabbat, from the Friday beforehand already. One last point, and that is clothing. That's also part of Kavod Yom Tov. The holiday clothing, Maram brings down, should be better than Shabbat clothing. Again, if one could afford it, it should be better. Yes, if you have something new, it's better to wear it on Shavuot as the first time and not on Shabbat because the, it is more, it is treated more than Shabbat when it comes to honoring it with nicer clothing. Move on now to the actual holiday of Shavuot. We'll begin with candle lighting. There are minhagim when it comes to candle lighting by ladies. Some make the blessing first and then they light, like the minhag of, like the way Maram brings it down and the Pashut understanding of the halakha. Not all Sfaradim follow it, They're like the Minish High, for example, doesn't go this way. And there's a lot of people that have a minhag also that they do like the Ashkenazim, which is first they light and then they make the beracha. Now, this is all by Shabbat and has its reasons by Shabbat, as we explained in the past. But when it comes to Yom Tov, the reason technically doesn't apply. According to the Ashkenazim, or those who first light and then make the beracha, the reason why is because that if they make the beracha, they're scared that that might be considered like accepting Shabbat. And therefore, afterwards, how could they, make, how could they light the candles? However, when it comes to Yom Tov, since you're allowed to light on Yom Tov, so the reason doesn't apply. And therefore, the Mishnah Barah says, as many, many Aharonim also bring down, that on Yom Tov, even the ladies, even Ashkenazim, everybody, there's no need, there's no reason for you to make the beracha after lighting. You can make the beracha because even if you accepted the holiday, even in the middle of the night, if you come back, let's say you ate by somebody's house and you come back and you want to light candles in your house, it could be 12 a.m., 1 a.m., you can still light candles. Even on the holiday, because we're allowed to transfer from ish to ish on, on, on the holiday. So therefore, you make, everybody should make the beracha first 
and then light the candles. However, you should know there are Ahronim who bring down, like the Magen Abraham, that since the, the institution of making the Beracha on candles on Shabbat is after lighting candles, they want to do it all across the board. So there are different minhagim, and some want to say, if you light after Yom Tov came in already, so make the Beracha first and then light the candles. If you're lighting beforehand, you should make the candles and then light. Do as your minhag. You ask me, preferably, even Ashkenazim, should first make the Beracha, and then light the candles. But again, that's only if you don't have a minhag. If you have a custom, whatever it may be, or if you don't know if you have a custom, find that from your local Orthodox or ultra-Orthodox rabbi. Now, there's another thing. Some ladies make a shahiyan when they light the candles. Preferably, it should not be done during the zaman of candle lighting. Why? Because Hazal, when they said that we do say shahiyan on the holiday, Hazal said that you should do it on a cup of wine. And we do that when we make the Kiddush at night and we say the Bechav Shehayanu so therefore it's better for the lady not to say Shehayanu while she lights candles and to be with the whole family when her husband is making the Kiddush or even if she's making her own Kiddush when she says Shehayanu on the Kiddush it's better to say it on a cup of wine than over the candles but if the lady is insistent and she wants to do it by the candles you don't have to make a fight and don't go crazy. On it. Okay, it's, we're just telling you it's better to do it by the coast. Next, let's get to some halachot of Shavuot. Let's start with Shavuot night. During Kiddush, we know we say Shehena like we just mentioned. If, if uh, the holiday falls out on Motza'e Shabbat, then there's also, don't forget, there's also Havdalah and don't forget Yaknehaz. It's just a quick reminder. But we do say the Bechav Shehena on both nights. Shehena is recited on the two nights of Shavuot, okay? Not like other holidays when the first holiday, second night, when it comes to Shavuot, two nights, both nights, we don't do anything different second day than the first day. Shahiyanu is recited in Kiddush on both nights. Now, the famous minhag on Shavuot is that men stay up all night and as this minhag is brought down, the Aharonim explained based on the Midrash that the Jewish people overslept so that we, we stay up. But this minhag is actually brought down as early as the Zohar. The Zohar says that the Hasidim HaRishonim, the early Hasidim used to say, let's not go to sleep, let's stay up and learn Torah so we can inherit. So you see that this minhag is actually very, very old from the time of the Tanaim already. And there's a famous story, the Shlabingzan of Maran Bet Yosef, when he was in Cairo, and they were learning on the night of Shabbat, and the angel appeared to them, and they did this again the second night, and he told them to go up to, to, to Eris Israel. So the, this minhag is an old, old minhag that Baruch Hashem today has become almost a standard. Everybody stays up. Baruch Hashem, it's beautiful to see. It's wonderful to see. So therefore, we need to know some halachot when we stay up, or based on the things that usually come up. So a lot of people that say, yeah, the shuls will bring certain snacks and food and drinks. So therefore, we need to know a little bit of berachot. If the food is in front of you or the drinks are in front of you, you made a berachot coffee, even though you think that's going to be the only cup of coffee, don't worry, you're going to have another cup of coffee and you're probably going to have Red Bulls and you can have all these energy drinks. You spend more time on making and drinking the coffee than actually staying up. I'm kidding. But anyway, but so one berachot is good for the whole entire night. As long as you have a mind that's going to, you're going to, Drink the whole night, not a problem. Unless you walked out of the building and you took, went for a walk. So when you come back, that's already half sake. You need to make a new beracha. Another thing to keep in mind, you're allowed to eat throughout the night. You know, you want to snack on certain things. But when it comes to alot shahar, whatever zman you hold is alot shahar, you must stop eating. 
What about drinking? You're allowed to continue drinking only the drinks that one is normally allowed to drink before shahrit. If you normally drink tea or coffee, whatever it may be, those are the before shahrit. There are different opinions. But that's the only drinks you're allowed to drink. And everybody agrees that water is fine. But other drinks, like sodas and everything else, once alota shahar comes, just like you cannot eat, you also cannot drink either. Also, when alota shahar comes, one should stop to say berchot shahar as well as berchot Torah. You cannot continue to learn Torah once alota shahar comes because you need to make a new berachah for the new Torah for that next day. When that time comes of alota shahar, I'm speaking now mainly to Sfaradim, not to Ashkenazim. How they do it is a little bit differently. What we got to do is stop, go and do Netilatidaim. If one has to use the restroom, even better. When you come out of the restroom, then you do Netilatidaim like the day, like the way you do when you wake up, which is first on the right hand, then the second on the, then the second time you spell on the left hand, and then back on the right hand and the left hand. Okay, that's called the Sirugin. Afterwards, Asher Yatsar, which you normally do because you came out of the bathroom, but again, that's only if you need the bathroom. Asher Yatsar is not just, it's not like the Bracha Pokeh Avrim, right? It's only if you use the restroom. And then afterwards, say all the Bracha Shahar, including Bracha Torah. Now, another thing to keep in mind for those who are praying nits, because that's what most people do when they say up, make sure that Alot Shahar, you should know, is a different time from the earliest time of Talin Teflim. This is man called Mishayakir. You can't put on Talit yet. There's no Teflim on the holiday, but you can't put on Talit until that time comes. But you're allowed to pray the Korbanot and say Bechot and all the other things beforehand. That's fine. It's only Mishayakir. It's only the Talit that you have to wait till that point. And of course, but we're not waiting and get to the Shema then. Another question that's asked regarding the uh, holiday of Shavuot is when we stay up at night, what is preferable to do? Is it better to learn the tikkun, the famous tikkun? Or is it better that one should learn gemara, gishmak, you know, go over, do hazara on the last month, or do hazara on everything else? So let me tell you a little bit what the tikkun is before we get to answer it. The tikkun was made by the Arizal. It's basically a sample of the whole entire Torah. It has Tanakh, it has a Tariyag Mitzvot, it has Kabbalah, it has Midrashim. Um, although it has also Mishnayot, but we're going to talk about the, the Ahronim and Mikubalim say better a person should not learn Mishnayot on the night of Shabbat because Mishnah is a word also Shena to sleep and they slept. That was a tikkun, Kabbalah stuff, not our arena, but that's what the, what's brought down. So really, Mishnayot are preferably uh, it's preferable not to learn on the night of Shabbat. That's the source of the tikkun. Now, the Ahronim especially the ones that are leaning more towards Kabbalah, like the Shlach Kadosh, the Hidda, they all say, one should learn the Tikkun. Even if you don't understand what you're learning, just reading words, it's still better to learn the Tikkun. Because remember, it's not a random night that we just happen to stay up. It's a special night this night. And therefore, because of its specialness, as the Zohar brings down, so that's why we got to read special things that are made for that night. However, Acham Ben Tzion or Letzion says something very important. If you're a Talmud in a yeshiva, if you're learning in a yeshiva, and your Rosh Yeshiva is Makbid, he says, no, you can only, I want you to learn only this. I don't want you to do Tikkun. The yeshiva is learning tonight, we're doing Hazara and Gemara. Or we're doing Hazara and Mishnayot. That's what the Rosh Yeshiva says. 
out the front of the tzibur. That's it. You do what your Rosh Hashiva says. If you could do both, that's great. If you want to wake up earlier, finish your meal a little bit earlier, come to the base matters, do the tikkun, which takes, by the way, it's only about an hour and a half if you're a fast reader, two hours if you're not such a fast reader, and then do what the Shiva does. It's wonderful. But if your Rosh Hashiva says, this, from this, when we begin the night, or, you know, everybody comes to stay up, we only are learning Gemara, you follow what the tzibur does. Don't stick out. Also, th- certain things that people should be aware of. I know it's a long night and people get tired, but Rabotai, the idea of also staying up is that it's also a tikkun karet, that you don't go to sleep. So, if, let's say a lot of shuls will begin, let's say the tikkun, let's say at midnight, let's say, or 12 o'clock. So a guy finishes his meal at 11, he says, you know, let me take a snooze for about a half an hour, a power nap. No, don't, don't, wait, don't do that. There's a tikkun also staying up the whole night. So if you have nothing to do, open up a sefer, learn something, say something tehillim. And remember, it's a special, special night and day. The holiday of Shabbat. Do not waste time. Sit and learn. And if you're able to do Tani Debur, if you're single, wonderful. How it's great. It's such unbelievable, you know, things are brought down that happen on this night. So therefore, Rabotai, you want Segulot, this is a Segula. Be our second Torah as much as possible. With a few minutes left, we want to mention a few things, and that is that when you are staying up at night and you're praying nits, be very careful not to fall asleep because then you messed up the whole thing. A lot of people, yes, I made it. Then they fall asleep throughout the whole tefillah. If you cannot stay up, you know you're going to fall asleep by nits, it's better that you go home, sleep, and then come back for shahrit. That's assuming you're going to be able to wake up. And if you cannot even do that, then better not to stay up. Let's remember what the main thing is. The main thing is the regular things that we usually do, our regular obligation, which is shahrit, shahrit on time. If staying up is going to interfere with that, then it's not worth it to stay up. Also, for those who are staying up, and Baruch Hashem, they're, they're able to stay up all the time, but they're going to go home and sleep. Remember, there's also uh, some opinions that hold that if you fast up, you know, past Hatzot, of the daytime, then it's considered like you're fasting. So therefore, before you take your snooze, especially if you're having a meal late, like 1, 1.30, and you plan to wake up at that time, make sure you make Kiddush right after Shahrit and eat enough to be Yotzeideh Hubat Saudah. I mean to say like a Mezonot, a Kezait, whatever it is. And this way, it's not considered that you are fasting. And with that, we're pretty much concluded. We were up on time. Really, there's more to say. There are different minhagim. You know, maybe we'll squeeze in a little bit more. We'll squeeze a little bit more. There's a minhag to read the entire Sefer Tehillim on the first day of Shabbat because it's Yotzav Davina Melech. It's a beautiful minhag to try to do it. And there is the Azharot of Shlomo Ibn Gabriel plus Megillah Trut. Try to do whatever you can, Rabbotai. The second night also, Ben Ishai says to do the Tikkun even if you're not staying up. Those are good things to do. And now we've concluded our class. For those who have questions, call us to the station, 718-683-5858. Or you could text us at 347-927-8398. By that shame, we'll take your questions, we'll take your comments, your feedback. And we'll see you in two weeks. Next week is Hag Shabbat. We want to wish everybody a wonderful week. Shabbat Shalom. Hag Kasher V'Sameach. A good Yom Tov, and a thank you to Rav Nisim and Iran J Radio for hosting us. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye, Zatashim.